This is the Waters and Harvest Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. In the last show, we spoke with Buncombe County Commissioner Alfred J. Whitesides, Jr. Today, Marcus and I want to continue that conversation. Looking at the life and experience of a true trailblazer. We'll be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters, and as usual, I'm always happy to be here in the studio and glad to be accompanied by my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, how is it going? It's going pretty well. I'm happy to, to renew this conversation. I know. The last conversation was a great conversation with uh, Commissioner Whiteside, and I tell you, um, I think both you and I were captured by the stories that he was telling. Mm-hmm. That's always been the experience that I've had with him every time I get together mm-hmm. with him, um, and I get to do that quite often, so I get the pleasure of that quite often. Uh, Mr. Whitesides actually grew up with my parents, so he's like an extension of my own family in many ways. So I have had the privilege of being able to get to know him in, in, a, in a very personal way. And those stories always capture me when he talks about Yeah, them. and I was really struck by how, how much of the city's history uh, unfolded through his retelling of these stories right. in the previous show. I mean, I learned so much. I mean, I felt as if I should be in a class that he's teaching or mm-hmm. something. So it was a very, very big learning moment for me. Right. Oh, so yeah. you you may end up grabbing grabbing him to come to oh, one of your oh, classes. Oh, absolutely. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> but he talked about so many things, and one of the things that he consistently talks about when I've had conversations with him, which I think is something that you know younger generations need to hear, is he talks about the importance that family played in his life and he he always talks about his his parents and those of you who had a chance to listen to the previous conversation have already heard him talk about how important especially his father was in his life in shaping his outlook on things he talked about that interesting that there was another little nugget that came out in that conversation when he talked about being acquainted and knowing the King family in uh, in Atlanta, which was a rich story. To hear. Yeah. And, and I wonder if, you know, perhaps we'll get to this, but I wonder I wonder if that if that acquaintance uh, sort of had any impact on his work around issues of civil rights yeah. um, in Asheville. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, and, and one of the things that we heard was that um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s mother was mm. constantly on the lookout for him to <laughs> show up in church um, so which was just rich to hear that part of the story as well mm-hmm. he also talked about the role of teachers and we think about you know you and I as professors you know we play this role in, in students lives but it was interesting to hear him talk about the teachers at the secondary uh, level mm-hmm. and the high school level and how important they were in shaping his outlook and Marcus one of the things that I really believe emerged from that discussion was that people really had standards. There were standards, there were expectations about what you were going to do, there were standards of conduct, and I think that that is something that in today's society we really do need to hear and revisit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think especially for for um, for, for the African-American community and for other marginalized communities, um, standards around issues like education, mm-hmm. for example, um, around uh, culture become particularly important. They do, um, and he talked about institutions that were important absolutely. in that, and I think that I, I'm I'm not going to forget him because I did mention this to my own mother after we had that first conversation that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that Mr. Whiteside talked about, how um, getting into trouble in one part of the neighborhood could lead to kind of a relay punishment as he was on his <laughs> way home, <laughs> which was, you know, a standard I think we might need to yeah. go back to sometimes, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but he talked about that, I, and, you know, you had standards, standards mm-hmm. in school, but there was also an expectation.
expectation that those standards would be met. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's something for us to consider, you know, as, as we think about where we are today, you know, what does that look for, like for us as a community today? So what Marcus and I want to do is we want to go back into that conversation with Mr. Al Whiteside in just a few minutes, and we'll be back with Mr. Whiteside momentarily. Welcome back. We, we are so glad that you all are staying here with us to listen to this important conversation with a man who really is one of our local and I would say state trailblazers, um, Mr. Alfred J. Whiteside, who is now serving as a Buncombe County Commissioner. And we mentioned in the last show that he is the first African-American to serve in that role. And, and Marcus, mm-hmm. I'm interested in getting his perspective on how it feels to be the first in a role mm-hmm. um, like this. This is an important uh, political role here. He's helping to, to govern uh, the county, um, has major influence on you know how things will develop here. So we want to go into that conversation with him shortly. But If you heard the first conversation with Mr. Whiteside, you will know that we kind of ended a little bit with him talking about his time at Morehouse College Mm -hmm. in in Atlanta, his relationship with with the King family. But what we want to do is, if he doesn't mind, I'd like to go back and and back up in just a few minutes. But just first, just welcome him back here in the studio. So thank you, Mr. Whiteside, for joining us again. Welcome, welcome. It's good to be back. Thank you. And so what – if you don't mind – what I'd like to do to start this off, the, this um, continued conversation, is to come back to your time here in Asheville because there was some important work uh, that you did at, during your time at Stevens Lee High School, and that was the development of a school. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that, starting the story there? Well, A-Score was started, you know, as I told you, in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, and it went on for five years, uh, six years. Uh, It ended when Stevens Lee closed in 1965, and it was in some ways like a track race for us, a relay race at that, because we were graduating all along. Others were picking up the baton and carrying on. And as a result of that, we weren't, we didn't realize what we'd accomplished until years later. Uh, and I didn't realize it really until I came back home with the bank in the 70s. And then we started looking back and said, well, we did make a difference, you know, because at the time we all were headed to college, you know, and different, we hit left, went different ways. And, you know, it was until later when we understood uh, the accomplishments that we've made and one know, of the things, students. And one of the things as I think about that, Mr. Whiteside, is, is that what makes that experience so unique is that you all were high school students right. doing this. Mm-hmm. And could you tell us a little bit about why that was so different from what was going on in other places like, let's say, Greensboro, where college students were leading this effort? Well, remember, you had no historically black University in Asheville, in this area. The closest was probably Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte. Right. Uh, and so as a result of that, uh, you know, as high school students, uh, we decided to take it, you know, and I said, we said, hey, we'll make the difference because we were tired of seeing, you know, we didn't like going to the colored library, uh, you know, 
we had back doors of restaurants. You couldn't eat at lunch counters. Right. Imperial Theater, we couldn't go in. The plaza, we had to go to the balcony. Right. You know, we were, in, in some ways, as Miss Hamus, Fannie Lou Hamus said, we were mm. tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> <laughs> and so as students, they stepped up to the plate and said, we're going to do it because we felt here that the adults were not in a position Actually, so many of them were domestic workers, and they were not in a position to really push the changes that we would make. Mm-hmm. Now, as a result of that, though, some kids were not able to participate mm-hmm. because their parents were afraid. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, others, our parents realized, well, you know, you know, I'm fortunate. My mom and dad said, do it. We just don't want you getting in trouble. Right. Don't get hurt. And... Remember, you've got to continue to get good grades Mm. because what's good if you fight for something and then on the other end you're not in a position to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've never forgotten to this day. Uh, Mom and Dad pushed us. And as a result of it, you know, that's what led the students. You know, we – and really, once we started – it it caught on other you know how kids are when you're teenagers. Right. Well, Alfred's doing it. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm as good as he is. Well, you know, it became a competition and it paid off. And the other good part about A score though was, if we didn't think about, but all of the kids who participated in A score. Most went on to college and graduated because it was good students. And we realized you couldn't accomplish this with knuckleheads, so to speak, (laughs) because (laughs) they weren't disciplined enough. Even at the time, it was hard for some of us, but that was one of the reasons for it. You know, it was good students. And as a result, we had the successes that we had. Again, we were another reference to standards. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, we knew that. And and I think this message about, um, you know, even though you're involved in this activist work, remaining focused on developing yourself um, academically, intellectually, yeah. uh, would be valuable even for some contemporary college students to hear who find themselves swept up in social justice movements on campus mm-hmm. and and off, and sometimes that compromises their their academic performance. Um, and then also, I think before I before I move on uh, here. I think it's particularly interesting that 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 and this goes back to your point about about high school students. That high school students were involved in social transformational work, uh, not knowing whether or not the fruits of their efforts would be immediately um, uh, that. that, that not knowing whether or not they would see immediate results, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So there's a there's a lesson I think to be learned there around delayed gratification. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. High school students being involved in work, um, the fruits of which wouldn't be seen until years later. That's right. Um, and so they can relate to educate the education process. Absolutely, as well. absolutely. Yeah. So, Mr. Whiteside, um, last time you, you talked a little bit about your college experience. You mentioned. Um, and an, an important, uh, some important time you spent in Morehouse College. Uh, c- could you speak more, though, um, during today's discussion about your experience at North Carolina Central University, another historically black university well, uh, here in North Carolina? At North Carolina Central, you know, when I graduated, I was president of the student government there. I was active there, just more active, really, than in Morehouse. Uh, and that's a matter of fact. That's where I met my wife. 
She was a student. She's from Rocky Mount. She had never been to Asheville before until we met, and I'd never been to Rocky Mount. So that's another. <laughs> and, you know, I go on campus, and at North Carolina Central, the men outnumbered, the, I mean, the women outnumbered the men about six to one in those days. Wow. But leave it to me to start dating a young lady who had two sisters on campus with her. <laughs> so it ended up, I couldn't go anywhere except one of the Walker girls was there. So I think that's one of the reasons we're married. Yeah, we laugh about it. Yeah, but so years later. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. But no, it was great. And as a matter of fact, we met being active uh, in the movement. That's how I met my wife, as a matter of fact. Uh, she was fiery, little thing. Oh, man. She was, I had to hold her back. But, you know, we were active. Durham was a hotbed, not only to mention uh, Floyd McKissick, who was an attorney there, who was active in CORE, came up in the same church that we came up in in Asheville, Hopkins Chapel. He and my mom graduated from Stevens Lee in the same class. So, you know, when I arrived there, it was almost like being at home. You know, I had uh, his family there, you know, and I knew them. So, uh, you know, I... It was immediate, you know, I was, you know, it was, and I think I really liked it more because I wanted to go to Central in the first place right. in North Carolina College, but it was through my uncle twisting arms and mom and dad that I ended up at Morehouse. Right. So, but it, it worked out for the best. Right. But if you remember, North, Durham, North Carolina was just as active during that time oh, as, as um, Atlanta. So I was, you know, active in boycotts there uh, and very active in the student government. And what I found out, because this is a much larger school than Morehouse, student government, you know, being involved in the student government on a black campus then was, it was tricky. You know, it was like people I ran against for president of the student government ended up, uh, well, he was behind me, but you're talking about people like Dan Blue, who later became speaker of the House, state legislature. Uh, G.K. Butterfield, congressman from the 1st District, was a classmate of mine. Wow. So, you know, college campus um, politics there was tough. But on the same respect, though, one of the things that we pushed was uh, you had to have good grades to be active. I couldn't run for the student government president if my grades hadn't been at a certain level. level. That was a requirement there. But, oh, I would, and and that's where really I learned to be disciplined because as student government president, we had just opened a new student union. We had, I had a staff of 15 people worked in the student government office. And I I had a stipend, $600 a month. That was a lot back then (laughs) as student government president. Uh, But we were well organized, and we had to balance uh, a lot because you had on one side the Black Panther Party, on another side this, that, and I had – it was a balancing act. One day they hated me, the next day I was uh, everybody's – 
So you had to learn, you learned to negotiate oh, yeah, very I had different to constituencies, quit. and yeah. I mean, and it's interesting to hear you talk about how active, uh, how active political life on uh, North Carolina Central's college was at the time in Durham, and talking about Durham, and and I find it interesting that not a lot of people know about the very rich history of of Durham, I, and I had one um, gentleman who I knew who was a mentor to me who lived in Philadelphia, and he talked about Durham. He said that Durham was the place even for Philadelphians, that for African-Americans in the Philadelphia community, in the community in Philadelphia, that Durham was the place that they wanted to go. I had um, a conversation not too long ago with, uh, well, a few years ago with um, uh, a guy named Skippy Scarborough. Oh, who, I know uh, Skip. Skip. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have a family business there. there. It goes back generations. Right. Yeah. And he uh, he was talking about how people like Arthur Ashe and yeah. other people were, would spend their summer months in a place like Durham. So Durham and its Haytai community, which was very active there. So th- this this was a place I'd to really be able to cut your teeth uh, for political activity. So it's interesting to hear you talk about that. Now that that brings me to thinking about your life after college. Now, unlike so many other people, you made the, dis- the decision to return back to Asheville. Um, you went into the banking industry, and I'd like to hear you tell us a little well, bit about how, you know, what, what kind of guided your decision to come back, and and how did you end up in the banking industry? Well, the decision was temporary. It was supposed to be temporary. When I left, see, while I was in talking about balancing that while i was in college going through all that i was also in the naval reserves okay mm-hmm. yeah and that was that's, a, right. that's, that's right. how i had to stay out of vietnam i never liked foxholes so right. i didn't that's how i ended up in the navy <laughs> but once i finished college i had to do my active duty doing vietnam in the navy so when time came to get out of the navy just before my last tour when we were going to westpac to Gulf of Tonkin over that way. At that time, I was in Asheville, and Dad, you know, worked at First National Bank. He had been a janitor there for years. So he said Jim Glenn at that time, who was regional exec, wanted to talk to me. So I go by the bank, and Jim, being a soap salesman, that's what he did before. He was a salesman. He said, let me, they rerouted me, sent me through Charlotte, and they interviewed, interviewed me for a job there in the management training program, and made me an offer, and I said, well, look, folks, hold it. I got a year to go in the Navy. I can't go to work now. I said, let me think about it and all, and so once I got back to the ship, I got the offer from them. And so my XO on the ship talked me into it. He said, Al, you're talking about going to law school. You, this is a good opportunity to make some money. You can go home while you do it and then go back to law school. Right. Mind you, let's remember, I didn't think about a career in banking during that time. Come on, that was the late 60s. So I came back in the management training program with First Union. Uh, and enjoyed it. And 
40 years later, I said, wow, it's time to retire, but I never made it to law school. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really how I ended up in banking, yeah. And I never wanted to live in Asheville. Right. But even though when I traveled with the bank working on mergers and all, Shirley and the girls were here. Right. And Shirley didn't want to live in the mountains. Now you can't get her to go east (laughs) in the summer. So it worked out good for us. Now, you know, and and if I can ask you this, Mr. Weiss, thinking about your uh, career in the banking industry, and how this door just kind of opened up. Now, you were one of the first African-Americans in that industry here in this region, yeah. right? And so Especially I, I just, as a person in management in the West right. for First Union. We're yeah. still hitting that theme of a trailblazer. So yeah. even in the banking industry here in this region, which is another interesting component to this so story. Interesting. And Mr. Whiteside, your, your career has also led you uh, to become very much involved um, in civic and nonprofit uh, work. Can you speak about that? Why has that been important? Um, well, I think that goes back to my A-score days. Mm-hmm. And I realized early on, one thing I liked at the time, timing is everything that I liked with banking, was that they pushed us. It was relationship building then. You had to be active in the community. Mm-hmm. I remember my first day in at the bank after the training, um, I, Jim White, who was my first boss in banking, he was also president of the Asheville JCs. At that time, it was strong. They had 300 members. First night, he carried me to the JC meeting, and I was a member of the JCs, and I didn't even know who the JCs were at the time. (laughs) But, and that's really when I got active in the community right. because the JCs were active in so many parts, politics, you name it, education, and all. Right. So, And I tell it. you, in listening to you talk about the civic activity, Mr. White, I think about um, your, your generation, and I know your father's generation, and on some level, I think were more active and engaged in this type of uh, work, civic work, than it seems that our generation has been. We, we seem to be so busy with so many other things, but you all found, I know my own grandparents, they found time to be very active in these civil, civic organizations in uh, in their community. And I think that that's, that's something, I think, important for us to kind of recapture, would you say? Well, I think one reason we did it, we had a reason for it. Look, working in the community, it was selfish for me. You know why? I realized that what I was doing at the time, I was hoping to make life a lot easier for you guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all knew that we had, if we were going to pave the way, we had to do it and we had to do it right. right. Not just in banking or things. We had to look at it in the whole community. And one of the things that finally, until my wife slowed me down, I realized at one point I had to start learning how to say no. Because what I realized they were doing, I was one of the few African Americans they could get to who had the time to do it. One time I was on like 15 different boards in the community. I said, time out. I got to stop here. I do the banking. But I will say this. In doing that, as long as I was working before I went in administration with the bank, with the public, and I had, you wouldn't believe the 
customer load I had because I knew so many people and who they would come to. I right. Yeah. And I had to learn, too, the, I, at one time I would keep several trainees with me because I would keep them busy. Right. You know, they would, you know, <laughs> I mean, another important thing, and, and Marcus, I'll let you jump back in here, but uh, I keep hearing so many important things that you're saying in themes, and you talked about relationship building, and even in your time as uh, with the bank in as a banker of the importance of building relationships and I think that that's something that we kind of need to recapture you know building relationships with the people in our local community so that we know each other and I even think of how that model can translate back over into policing you know how how the police interact yeah, with, with the local right. community right. you know because it used to be that with people walking a beat you know you knew the people that you were charged with uh, protecting and serving and that doesn't seem to be the case anymore so I think that that's a theme that we could revisit again yeah. and, and also I think what's important to note is that this this relationship building um, is is done um, with the long-term well-being of the community mm-hmm. in view so it's, it's so a strategic community building it's right. not just you know relationship building um, to, you know, for self-serving purposes. Right. And that's, and it's, it's important to note that. It is. Yeah. And, uh, so, and before we get a, time gets away with us, we have to get to the to your the role that you're playing now. Because, you know, I know that, and, and I, ho- I hope it's okay for me to mention this, that in our conversations with each other together, you know, you retired. And um, we're, <laughs> right. we're starting to slow down. You know, you had your parents, and you were taking care of your parents and things. But you have uh, kind of ratcheted it up again your your schedule by taking on this new responsibility as a Buncombe County Commissioner the first African American to do that can you just tell us a little bit you know in the last few minutes of the show about that experience what um prompted you to to go ahead and do this I feel that you were the perfect person to do this um given your connection to the community and how have you found that experience well it's just uh, no it's not that much different from what I did in banking. It's people, relationships. I enjoy working with people. And that's what I'm doing now, you know, more so. Well, let me give you a good example. Uh, We had a fellow that was up where our offices are in the county building. He was complaining about something that happened and giving several commissioners a hard time. I said, hey, come on in, sit down. I said, what is wrong? Which we started talking. Well, you went on and on. I said, hold it, hold it. Who gave you your first loan when nobody else did? He dropped his head. He said, you? I said, say it a little louder. What? He said, yeah. I said, good. I wanted to make sure you hadn't forgotten. I said, now, haven't I always been straight with you? He said, sure. I said, this is what you need to do and come back, and then we'll see if we can't help you. And that was it. Well, one of the other commissioners said, how did you quiet him down? I said, I just know him. So that was it. But I found out a lot of it is working with people and my years experience in banking. From Broad River to Shelton Law, Mm -hmm. every nook and cranny in Buncombe County, you've got somebody who was a customer of mine at one time or another, even not in my district that I represent. So I get more calls probably outside of my district than I do from (laughs) in. And I take care of them. It's uh, buddies of mine. But, you know, it's relationships. And, two, I've been able to work. You know, I don't ask people, even though I'm a Democrat, proud of it, but I don't ask people 
when they call me to help. I only want to know about part. What do you need? You know, or even district. I don't go into that. And I work with the other commissioners in that way. You know, that we want to get things done. You know, we might not always agree on how to get there, but that's where you have to work together to do it. Yeah. Well, one last question here. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, Mr. Whitesides, in your role as, as, as Muckland County Commissioner, what do you see as sort of the, some of the major challenges that still confront the county? Um, and along with that, what do you see as prospects for minority communities in the city and region? Well, uh, to answer your first question, I think the big challenge that we have, that Buncombe County is growing so that we need to do this to continue to be inclusive to everybody who's moving in. But on the other side of that coin, we've got to protect the goose that's laid the golden egg. Mm-hmm. That's our quality of life in Buncombe County. And in making policies and looking ahead, this has got to be first on our plate, right. you know, to do that. The quality of life is key. Mm-hmm. Now, for African Americans, when you look at the challenges we have here, we've got to do stop having pity parties. And by that I mean, you know, when you look at the state of Black Asheville from the UNCA students, it's great right. to talk about it. But now let's start talking about solutions, solutions. what well, we can do to solve right. the problem. Okay, Absolutely. well, that, that's a good way to end this show. And this has been a great conversation it with, with uh, Commissioner Whiteside. I wish that we could continue. But thank you all for joining us for this conversation with the Waters and Harvest Show. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Yeah, yes. Yeah, but you know what that is? <laughs>